this is the menstruation issue of politics, uh, or or the censorship issue, uh, how, however it plays out here. But uh, we're going to discuss the critic debacle um, with all of our assembled youth political reps, uh, except for the ACT Party, which we know they believe in personal freedom and that you should be able to uh, show menstruating women wherever you please. Um, so we don't and choose whether or not to come to radio shows. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but tell us, uh, I mean, we've all read it in the news a little bit about uh, what happened. And uh, what what's your guys' take on it? Well, it's a clusterfuck, basically. So, obviously, uh, most people have probably seen the issue now. and um, give, give, give an overview for those who might be less informed. Okay, so this, this issue of the critic was the menstruation issue. Um, it was... Um, aimed at destigmatizing um, periods and removing the taboo that um, they often have in society, and so dispelling common myths about periods, um, talking about where you can f- find um, cheap sanitary products, some investigative journalism into the university's lies about having uh, sanitary bins in all female bathrooms, that sort of thing. Really, really great issue. Um, also came with the stickers provided by the Women's Club. Um, and so some people took offence to the, or apparently took offence to the cover of the critic, um, which featured a um, indeterminate gender person lying on a bathroom floor, having me- me- menstruating. Um, and so it was. Th- th- this issue was around campus. It was also at the public library and at the hospital. So some people asked for it to be removed from the public library and the hospital, and Critic did so um, quite happily as it went through the proper channels. Someone in the proctor's office, maybe the proctor, maybe someone from Campus Watch, maybe someone above telling them to do so, um, then decided that they would remove somewhere between 500 and 2,000 2000 copies, the uh, sources vary, um, of removed these issues and they destroyed them. So the university essentially stole and destroyed someone else's property, student property, critics property, um, illegal as far as I can tell, you know, theft, destruction. Well it's it's interesting because, um, uh, well I've been involved uh, at the university since before Campus Watch existed and during the time when they existed and it was very controversial when they came in and um, basically uh, at the time, you know, it was at first they said, oh, they're just going to uh, help share recipes with you and walk you home nice. at night to feel safe. Uh, and then, of course, they got rolled in with the proctor and took on this quasi behavior enforcement role. And uh, that was sort of justified under the um, in the context of the extreme alcohol harm and the riots that were going on. But, of course, the first thing that Campus Watch actually did uh, was to try to shut down a student political group and to collude with the police to go, uh, you know, undercover against the Cannabis Legalization Club. And we all said at the time, you know, Campus Watch is a bunch of Nazi brown shirts that are going to end up book burning against Critic. And what have we today? Literal book burning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's pretty fucked. And I think the, the Proctor's sort of fallen on the sword here. Yeah. Um, he has... Well, is the sto- I'm the I'm really kind of actually changed. I'm I'm disgusted that critic is just taking that apology and not really making more so of a fuss w- about w- it. What they're doing is they've said, okay, we'll accept this apology, but we want the university to provide free sanitary products for 
um, anyone who needs them. That doesn't which, address the uh, brown shirt nature no, of it, Campus Watch. No, it doesn't. Watch. It doesn't. But I think it's a it's a like good solution. And th- look, the thing is, this is not ending here. There's, yeah. It speaks to a wider issue of censorship at the university. And there's a group out there called Student Voice that are planning a protest tomorrow and they are not going to stop because we've seen censorship around things like mental health care, around sexual violence, around CCTV, around budget cuts, staff cuts, departmental restructuring. It is fucked and they're doing something about it because OESI can't at the moment because of VSM. They are tied, they, they are dependent on upon university funding and um, well, the university allocating them funding from the student services fee, so they don't want to piss off the uni. Well, and that's so the hilarious thing because um, you know when Campus Watch first came in, OUSA forcefully resisted Campus Watch. The last large-scale protest on campus was organized by OUSA on the Campus Watch security office when it first opened. So and what year was that? Like two thousand seven? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, and VSM was introduced in two thousand eleven. So yeah, that's yeah, right. VSM fucked them. Yeah. yeah. And tell us a little bit more about this student voice. Like, is this um, typical lefties? Is it uh, interdisciplinary? No, th- th- this is this is censorship. The censorship is not a left or right. But issue. I mean, like in terms of the people organizing, do they? Th- um, there's like 500 members. Okay, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, in in the group. Yeah, so it's people from all ranges of the political spectrum. I know Viv from the Young Nats here would be coming along to the protest if he weren't away in Blenheim tomorrow. I know Bonnie is coming. I'm going. Okay, there's people from. All walks of life who are who want to stop this issue of censorship. And um, have you guys reached out to any academics? Because um, really, back uh, well, ten years ago now, when uh, Campus Watch first tried to flex their muscle, and funnily enough, back then they had the full CCTV implementation plan ready. I saw the <laughs> document one yeah. day when I was in the proctor's office, and and they basically had to hold it back because of the pushback. And it was only, you know, they had to get VSM first in and let it bed in for a few years. And it's only now, and they're still just drip-feeding the cameras because that's the only way they'll be accepted. But um, it was always a part of the plan. And I think, um, yeah, this this 10 years ago when, when we resisted them more successfully, what really made the difference was academics, um, like full professors writing letters to yeah. say, this is not the university that I signed up in. And there's a real, you know, it's not just the theft and destruction of property that's the legal issue here. It's the proctor, the, the campus watch, and this is why the proctor had to fall on the sword, because you, you damn well know the order came from higher up. The proctor doesn't unilaterally ever decide anything. That's way above his prey grade. But he has to take the heat now because if the university administration was actually proven to have had a hand in the destruction of Critic, then they would be abrogating their legal obligation under the Education Act to allow free speech and to act as the critic and conscience of society. And this isn't even a controversial issue like drugs. This is like a biological reality for over half the population at university. Um, So really, um, Harleen would be in deep doo-doo if it could be connected back to her and her wider censorship agenda that we've seen over the last decade. Yeah. Well, uh, full disclosure, I'm part of Student Voice, so I'm going to say we uh, right now. But we've put in an OIA 
um, to the university to find out what actually happened. But even like, even if it was a mistake, it speaks to sort of like the culture of the university. Yeah, self censorship yeah, of the exactly. students by the administration. Yeah. yeah, and like the proctor saying it was my decision, it's it's my fault. It's not the university. That's bullshit. The proctor mm. represents the university. Anyone who works at the university represents the university. Yeah. So you can't say it's not the university because he's living with, well, whoever did it is living within the culture that the university is perpetrating. Mm, yes, it is a very uh, delicate issue. They've kind of opened up a Pandora's box when they really didn't need to, you know? I mean, their agenda of VSM and cameras and censoring the mental health issues and the sexual abuse issues was really proceeding quite well for them. They had, was, yeah. they had pivoted successfully. They had tokenistically made press announcements about what they were going to do to rectify. They threatened legal action against people who have been raped, yeah. Yeah, well, but, but I mean, they had, they had successfully covered all of that up with a PR offensive through the Marketing and Communications Division, and it was just this, you know, um, act in the heat of the moment that has actually opened up this festering sore that yeah. uh, it's good. Well, I don't want to get too conspiracy theorist, but um, yesterday, 65 staff lost their jobs. Right. Which is, the, the timing is interesting because, you know, that it's not been in the news at all, you know, because the critic thing has been so large and it's gone national and international coverage. So, I, I, I don't know. I, it could just be coincidence, but at the same time, it has helped them in some ways because you know there were big protests last year about job cuts and staff redundancies so you know we'll, mm. we'll see i don't know though i mean to me i saw uh the staff cuts in the paper this morning and it just added insult to injury after the <laughs> yeah, censorship yeah. <laughs> scandal yeah so um maybe some miscalculations there if it was a calculation um well yeah so the uni um, overstepping their bounds as usual, not acting as critic and conscience of society, trying to act like a business as usual. And uh, the campus watch brown shirts. Hey, I told you so. Um, but let's shift gears uh, to some other uh, political questions. The budget. Uh, we talked about it before it was announced last week. Well, me and Viv did. And then we talked a little bit about why such a nice young man like him would uh, get caught up with uh, the National Party, and uh, I thought I thought he gave a really good defense. But um, uh, our listeners did not defense like that. Of the National Party or defense of the budget? Uh, defense of of how someone like him, with all his um, you know intelligence and high ideals, could end up in the National what Party. What um, Oh, they just did not like. Radio 1 listeners cannot countenance any National Party person saying anything without being immediately attacked. Um, so they were not happy about it. Do <laughs> <laughs> you get feedback? You get angry emails? Yes. Yes, oh we did. Yeah. How dare you let that... Yeah, basically. That's insane. <laughs> well, you, your words, the Green Party is calling certain Radio 1 listeners insane, not oh, me. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> I apologize, but I mean, like, everyone... No, no, I agree. I agree. ...speech what they think. Like, I that's agree. the whole issue with the censorship that we're yeah, seeing. Yeah, yeah, oh, um, a, yeah. As a, as a dyed-in-the-wool Labour Party uh, advocate, I have my fierce scepticisms when, when someone comes up to me and says, hello... I'm a national voter, let alone a national party member. But I do respect Viv. I think he's very intelligent. Well, that's what I yeah. felt like. And I thought, you know, with him and me here, what better chance to give him his the opportunity to explain um, how such uh, yeah, a nice young man could sure, end up with the national party. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that was worth interrogating. because. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, certain listeners basically 
judge, um, you know, people by the color they're wearing and not the content of their character, and that's just wrong, and they should go examine themselves. You know who you are. I've been absolutely <laughs> guilty of the same thing. Oh, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do better. I think it's also important to recognize that I think the young Nats and the Nats are not the yeah. same. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's yeah. very right. Yeah. The, the young Nats are... You can smoke a joint with the young nets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the number of things that this panel, Sam purchased from the um, from Young Act included, um, agree on is yeah. quite incredible. The number of things that we all kind of come to the same conclusion on. Our values often are the same, if not enacted in the same kind of policy framework. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, that's what I like about this group. Um, otherwise, I would have um, thrown you all out much earlier. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the budget, I mean, uh, what, what can we take away from it? I tried to get the prison guard uh, and the um, police union on because they were real happy about it, but I couldn't find anyone else who was happy about it. Um, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I've spoken a lot, so you, you, okay. you two speak. All right. Go ahead, Viv. <laughs> Go ahead, babe. I think the budget's it's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's all right. Like, it's just a, it's just a, a, a classic budget. Um, it's not that exciting. Um, mm. You'd probably expect a bit more from all the talk that's been going on around it. Yeah. They've built up. There's going to be a lot of announcements on budget day. In reality, there was sort of not much at all <laughs> on the actual day. But Green investment yeah. fund? Yeah, it was very small, isn't it? <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's it's an alright budget. There's a lot of promises that didn't quite get lived up to, but it's the first of three, so yeah. we'll see what happens. You can keep attacking it until, you know, you're blowing the mouth, but we'll mm. just leave it there. I think that's important to remember. It is the first of three. It's the very first step forward. I find it very hypocritical that the National Party MPs in the House uh, chose to criticise the budget <laughs> as if it was this outlandish, you know, oh, it's delivering so much less, when really, if the National Party in this, if they had been elected in this term, and this was their first budget... It would have been, been similar. Yeah, run-of-the-mill, yeah. uh, a progressive national budget, really. If that would is that a defence of Labour? No, I, what I'm thinking... I think that's an indictment of Labour. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the way that I choose to see it, because I think I'm among uh, the group of people who were quite disappointed that it was not that same brand of inspiration that Labour has been promising and delivering it. Uh, so far as this first, rhetorically, yeah, yep. term has been going. <laughs> the way that I keep rationalising it, it is the first of three. It is also there is a lot of reparation to be made before you can cross the territory into the promised land that Labour has so described. I do believe we can get there, but before we can get there, we cannot put funding into things that have not yet been established and have not had the kind of groundwork put in to successfully deliver on these programs. So there is a lot of uh, a great deal of money that needs to be spread out in uh, the big middle ground, <laughs> moved around a bit, get the basis going, and then make it into this beautiful uh, paradise land that Labour so promises. And I do choose to believe in it, and I don't think any kind of parasitic squabbling from the National Party MPs will um, debilitate that. I think it's a bland budget. I'm not going to disagree with that because it's not very exciting. But you can't get exciting before you really cross no man's land and get back into the kind of left-wing socialist fantasy that we've all bought into. <laughs> I, I don't think you want to be calling Labour's policies socialists on that. That's not going to help your cause. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's just, it's just my, my little young Labour dream. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a uh, brief musical interlude, oh. and when we come back, we will discuss a, uh, uh, an issue that uh, I think we can all agree on, and uh, one that I'm very excited to discuss and has been in the media for the last two days. Um, maybe you can guess, but we'll leave you hanging. This is October. (laughs) 
We're back with politics on Radio One ninety one FM, and we are going to talk about the uh, comments over the last couple of days um, by the Labor Party and others about the upcoming cannabis referendum. Yeah, boy, the referendum, uh, as it's been called <laughs> by many uncreative journalists. Um, so, uh, do do any of you guys know how this story came out? Yesterday was the first day we saw it. It seemed like it was a, a release from labor as opposed to an actual, like, um, journalists asking questions. I've been way too focused on the whole censorship critic issue. Sorry. <laughs> I've, I think we all have. It's been basically what's... The, bit, the news of Otago. But yeah. you seem very excited by it. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you well, tell us about it. I, I, did, I got the impression that it was kind of Labor getting a lot of flack for the medicinal stuff being underwhelming and should. taking too yeah. long and uh, no one having heard anything about the referendum yet mm-hmm. um, to kind of um, basically say, oh, hey, we are doing something. Uh, so they stopped getting so much shit. But uh, what the announcement was was, oh yeah, yeah, we are doing so. We just haven't done anything yet, and we don't have a work program to plan for when we're going to do it. And then today, uh, and it may not even be binding. So I'm a little um, underwhelmed. I mean, I'm glad to hear that it's still happening, but uh, we only have the Greens to thank for that. Until we know what the uh, makeup of this, you know, this working group. Um, yeah, until we know the makeup of the working group and who the stakeholders they're consulting and then finally see what is the question and how will it be asked and will it be binding, mm. uh, we can't really have a lot of confidence, can we? But uh, it but we can have confidence in the New Zealand public for, to vote yes. Yeah, that's right. Regardless of what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> the longer it takes, the more confidence we can have, I think. Yeah, all I've really read about it, because uh, just like, um, well, I have really been following this, this scandal in Otago, um, I saw a post from Chloe Swarbrick, master of the social media, that um, when the referendum does come about, rest assured that they they will have researched it, they will have drafted it multiple, multiple times, they will have really riddled out all the ins and outs and made it as sure and palatable and secure as they possibly can to get the most amount of yes votes to push it through. Dope. Awesome. Dope. Dope. <laughs> Literally, yes. From, from that, and that was from Chloe's angle. But, but how do you think Labour's feeling about this? I mean, um, what Andrew Little was saying basically was um, we're going to have to have a long national discussion about it. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take some time to formulate the question beforehand anyways. So even if they started immediately... Mm. We'd be looking at late 2019. I yeah, I really do believe it's probably going to come later in the term. I think it's just what the reality. Well, is no, be. but so I mean, even if they started immediately, it would be late 2019. And and the the piece was ostensibly about the merits of having it at the election or yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And some people are saying, oh, we want it before. Some people are saying we want it at the election. And strangely, it's not who you would expect saying those things. Mm-hmm. Labor's saying maybe we don't want it at the election when they would theoretically stand the most to gain, unless, of course, they're not going to be supportive of it. Um, and National, Mark Mitchell, the, the Iraq guy, um, <laughs> is saying maybe we should have it at the election when National theoretically stands the most to lose out of a, a huge surge in left-wing youth turnout for a referendum question. I don't think National's relying on the, on, the, on the young turnout. I mean, they hyped up the youthquake so much for this uh, election with Jacinda Ardern as the, as the Labour leader, and everyone, everyone was hyping up this new left-wing youth circle that's going to rise up and, you know, take the election, but that didn't happen really quite as much as we promised. So I No, because think you didn't on campaign enough on cannabis, in fact. Yeah. I mean, the, youth, what, the thing that will draw out the youthquake is mm-hmm. cannabis. We've mm-hmm. seen 
seen this overseas. Mm. And for National to be pushing for it during the election and Labor not to be, it's almost as if Labor knows they're not going to be supportive enough to get the lift. And National's starting to weigh up there, uh, you know, with all this positive media from overseas and all the economic arguments. Maybe National, even Mark Mitchell, probably the most arch-prohibitionist still in there, is saying, I'd like more information about how it would proceed. Maybe we should do it at the election. If it is at the election, whoever says the best things about it will get the most surge in votes from the extra turnout. I have to say that I really, despite this very convincing conspiracy theory, you've really come up with a good one this time. I've got to say, I really do not see National, the party that has the faith of all the crime and punishment, you know, people in New Zealand, which is a fucking huge majority, will not be pushing for the um, decriminalisation or legalisation of cannabis because they are the people who say, no, we're going to take the users of cannabis, the filthy, filthy, lazy people, we're going to put them in jail. And that's what gathers the faith of the national bloc. let's not forget that Stuart Nash shares a similar rhetoric. Mm. Um, So, and he's our police minister. So if Mark Mitchell is saying, give me more information, and Stuart Nash is saying, lock him up and throw away the key, I just feel like we have passed a societal tipping point um, sea changes can happen very quickly. Two years is a long time. Mm. But the original point I wanted to make about the referendum was if we're looking at late 2019, if they start immediately, well, we know they're not starting immediately. They said they hadn't started yet and they don't have a plan to start. So that's pushing it into early 2020. If they wait another couple months to start, we're pushed into early 2020. If it's in early 2020, why would you not have it in late 20... I mean, they're yes, running, save money, have they're, it they're the running out of time to not have it at the election if they don't get cracking, basically. No, my my question... Money on a referendum, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> wow, irony. <laughs> um, my question for you, Viv, is um, have the young Nats put in a remit that we're unaware of? Oh, they put in a remit every year. They put in a cannabis law reform remit, and it just gets passed over. To my, I mean, from my knowledge of previous young Nats, not iterations. this year from Southern, um, but I know right. it's been. But previously, it has. Yeah, has been um, remits go through, but it usually gets through to the regional level, and then um, doesn't really progress from there. But what always happens is it doesn't get voted down; it gets voted to get put to like more research, <laughs> and that's oh, where it all. How happens. much research? You guys have must have a huge body of research so that you've been building. Much research. <laughs> <laughs> rooms and rooms and rooms. Hey Viv, if you want to come do some uh, yeah. private research, research. call me up. Yeah, <laughs> call me up. We'll do some research. Total <laughs> 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 I think mean, we, we can all do some research together about it. You know. Yeah, that's right. Go go to the cannabis uh, cannabis museum and crack out the laptops. And, this um, is all just a big front for the cannabis museum. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, you guys are, we, we're obviously all in agreement that New Zealand will vote yes. You guys would all be supportive in voting yes, yes. depending on the question. Viv seems like... Yeah. Depend, depends on the question. I mean, I think if it's just decriminalisation, that's fine. But as long as it doesn't get hidden behind this big shadow of, oh, it's for medicinal purposes, it's just going to be... But you'd be happy with a big right. business um, like legalisation, I regulate... getting it out of the hands of the gangs is going to be the priority. Yeah. Um, that's the answer, isn't it? So this yeah. is the kind of rhetoric that we need to sort of converge on. The, yeah, yeah. major cause of like crime throughout New Zealand yes. mm. the best way to get rid of them is yes. cut their income yeah. exactly and look, the thing is <laughs> smash the game marijuana is only a gateway drug when it's sitting beside a pile of meth yeah, that's in right. a gang's house <laughs> yeah that's oh. right thank you yeah <laughs> so if you legalise cannabis then you know the gangs aren't going to have it your kids aren't going to be going to gangs houses and here's the and thing if you, de- if you decriminalise it legalise it put it in the hands of the government you can profit off of it and you can also make sure that it is safe it is yeah. clean yeah. 
It is, um, may I say, 100% pure and pure <laughs> New Zealand brand. You could export that. You could, and you would. And like, I think the New Zealand's really premium like weed brand. Premium weed. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> well, there will be much more in-depth analysis uh, of this pending additional research tonight uh, <laughs> on tomorrow's episode of Overgrown. Uh, so tune in for that. And I think, um, you know, the, the thing that I love about this story is the media is just that all the journals smoke. And they're just like... They're like, God damn, it's been too long, right? And they're like, they're keeping the story going. So uh, despite um, any platitudes that are put out there in an attempt to, you know, calm people down, we want this referendum now, damn it. Um, so, yeah, get the message. Uh, that has been it for us. Oh, can I just... Oh, uh, yes. One we shout out. Final so, announcement. So uh, Student Voice has organized a protest tomorrow at noon. Um, in on Union Lawn, OUSA is there in support. They are they they are advocating for us. They they they're keen on it as well, which really gives me some faith in. They are helping publicize it and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're willing to stand channels. up to the university, which is great. But yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be big. Come along, stand up, speak out, and fucking stop the university from carrying on with this censoring bullshit. Mm, noon on the Union Lawn. It's it's high time for another. Uh, yeah, big stand against the uni and this uh, abrogation of their fundamental obligation to allow free speech, to allow open-minded uh, critic and conscience of society. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting a lot of support for that, and even our grumpy listeners can support that. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, it's been another week, and we will see you next Thursday. And don't send hate mail to Viv. Yeah, that's right. He's a cool guy, yeah. despite yeah. his political alliances. <laughs> Uh, hey, and we'll get him we'll get him voting yes on that referendum, don't worry. Yes. <laughs> You're on the one politics.